it's great to be here this morning. I'm, I'm really actually very excited about what it is that we're going to be diving into together. So uh, if you will grab your Bibles and go with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 33, well, we're going to take a few minutes together and we're going to talk about cultivating the presence of God, cultivating the presence of God. Uh, another way that we could say that is tending the presence of God. So Father, as we approach the word of God this morning, the word that was written by the hands of men, but Lord, inspired by the Holy Spirit, we pray for that same unction and for that same power and for that same, as Christy said earlier, that same spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know Jesus better. Holy Spirit, today help us to know Jesus better. I pray that you would awaken inside of us a hunger. I pray that you would awaken inside of us a greater awareness and a greater desire to draw near to the presence of our God and to be people that cultivate the presence of God in our lives, in our marriages, our homes, our neighborhoods, the places of our vocation, and, and here, the place where we gather. And we pray these things today in Christ's name. Amen. I'm, I'm going to just read Exodus 33. We're going to begin with verse 12, and we're going to read through the rest of the chapter. So if you would join with me, not necessarily in reading aloud, but reading along with me in Exodus 33, beginning in verse 12. Scripture says, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. Verse 19, and the Lord said, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face you must not see. Last week, for those of you who are not with us last week, we had a very, I believe, special time in the presence of the Lord together. It was one of those God moments that you, you just can't fabricate. And for those of you who were here, how many of you could just 
a test, maybe by way of a nod, or that, there, that the movement and the presence and the activity of the Holy Spirit was at work in a very unique way, in a very pronounced way, in a very profound way. I know the Lord was doing some very deep excavation and, and even some great revelation in my own life that I believe the fruit of that is freedom and will be increased freedom and, and so much more. Uh, it's one of those things, Jonathan said it very well, I believe, the next day. He says, that's, that's not something that we can manufacture. That's one of those God moments where he comes in and he just surprises us. Many years ago, for those of you who've been a part of the house for some time, you might recall Apostle Dutch teaching on different types of time. One type of time is understood by the Greek word chronos, which is this idea that we are faithful, we are diligent, we are disciplined. And in the chronos seasons of life, many times it seems like nothing real spectacular is happening. You're, you're just diligent with the disciplines and the grind of life. And then we have another word in the Greek, it's called kairos. And it's this idea that there is something that is unusual. There's something that's spectacular or sensational. There's something that's spontaneous. And, and it marks us in a very profound way. And those two things work together. You cannot have kairos moments without the diligence and the faithfulness to chronos time. Uh, just an analogy in the natural uh, for all of our baseball fans. I, I've made myself... Um, a promise to myself this year. I don't know why this year. I honestly can't tell you. I don't know why as late in the year, but I said, I'm going to be a baseball fan. I'm just going to make myself become a baseball fan. I'm going to pick a team. I'm going to, and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to listen. Last night, I'm listening to the Astros beat the Yankees on my phone. I'm listening. I mean, that's how committed I am to this. Now, in the game of baseball, as I'm learning, and I've got friends who are really into the game of baseball, they say, Jay, the thing about baseball is the tension in baseball is just pulled out over nine innings, and it comes down, really, in certain games, it can come down to the very final play. Bases loaded or full count, it's just the pitcher and the batter, and that's what we would call a Kairos moment, a Kairos moment, where the diligence and the discipline and the faithfulness of time leading up to this one moment, now this moment is pregnant. It's pregnant with things that have the capability of moving and shifting and changing things. How many of you guys are with me this morning? So I feel like last week was, a, was, was literally a Kairos moment for Antioch and in the spirit and prophetically as, as Christy and I processed Last week and last weekend in the Lord together, we, we believe the Lord is saying last week marked the end of a season. It marked the beginning of a new season. We believe that it was not coincidental that we had a prophetic voice who was a female and an African American that was speaking into our house as we were launching our building campaign. But I just don't think that that's coincidental. So this is where we begin looking at things and saying there's, there's an element of prophetic activity that's here that we can't say that we fully understand, but yet we honor it and we trust it and we give place for that. By the way, for those of you who were not here last week, 
And those of you who are here today, maybe for the first time, we, we announced last week that we were beginning a building campaign for a particular location that we have our eyes on. And if you want to hear more about that, you can hear that on the podcast. You can access that via the website. And also this week in our newsletter, there's going to be a link for you to hearing some more information about that. But we're beginning the, uh, the giving of our building campaign next Sunday. So last week was a Kairos moment, and I want to encourage you to not only listen to the message that Ms. Sinead gave, uh, I am going to begin exhaustively going back through those notes, listening to it again, but I'm also going to encourage you to pray into whatever it was that the Lord may have done in you, what the Lord may have done in the house, and if you consider yourself a part of the house and were not here last week, listen, you can still pray into, I believe there's residue and I believe that there's, there's resonance. I believe that that impartation is for us as a people. All right, so let me talk here just for a few minutes about this idea of cultivating and tending to the presence of God. I believe that as human beings, we were created with God's presence and a hunger and a desire to know God deeply hardwired into us. I'll say this another way. When Adam and Eve first came into consciousness, if we recall, the scripture says in Genesis chapter 2 that God formed them and fashioned them out of the dust of the earth. And then what did he do next? He, he breathed life into them. Now, now, we don't know this, but my guess is that that breath of life was actually mouth to mouth. I mean, theoretically, he could have stood at a distance and he could have breathed. But, but number one, I don't think that's the way that God works. And number two, I think that there, even when we think in the natural about the resuscitation of life, I just, I just like to envision this moment that God actually kissed the clay of humanity and breathed directly into the very being of man. And man came into existence, which means that the very first thing that mankind beheld when he and she came into existence was the face of God. And we can parse this out with a lot of implications. I believe that there is, as Billy Graham says, a God-shaped hole in the heart of all of humanity that can only be fulfilled by God himself. Now, we, we live in a, in a culture that's saturated and that is inundated and that is prosperous and that is abundant. We have technology that can do amazing things. We have entertainers. We have athletes. We have, we have so many things, and yet our hearts are not yet completely fulfilled until they're fulfilled in him. And what's amazing is that as we learned in our Philippians series and as we learn even those of us who've had the opportunity to be around the world— we will discover that there are people who do not have the same material wealth and the material abundance, and yet when they have Christ, there is a fulfillment and there is a satisfaction inside of them that cannot be touched by anything else. We have the incredible, I mean the enormous privilege this past week, the past few days of sitting at a small round table with a handful of pastors on the West Coast that are connected to the network that we belong to, KMUSA, 
And one of our pastors that we've known now for 12 years up in the Northeast actually merged churches with the Slavic church. And we sat there at this table so humbled as these young pastor friends of ours, this Caucasian couple, weeping, weeping, saying with, with just such brokenness in their voice, and we know some of their story, saying we need, and they're, they're, they're speaking this to this Ukrainian couple that's 10 years younger than them, saying we need you. And we need what your people bring. And we need the rich history of what your people have walked through. Weeks prior, the story was shared of how the pastor's grandfather was put in prison for 25 years in a communist prison for owning a Bible. Owning a Bible. And that's some of the spiritual DNA and legacy and history that these Slavic people carry, and now they're bringing it to a people that, if we're really honest, are very spiritually poor. We as, we as Western Americans are very spiritually poor. And so the point of that, again, is that we were created to find fulfillment in God and in Christ in a way that no other thing could bring us fulfillment. I want you to think, I want you even to imagine that you could be in the confines of a physical prison, and yet with Christ, you could experience freedom that you would not experience if you were not in the confines of a physical prison. And why is that? It's because we were created. One of the very things that was hardwired into humanity was to know God and to know him deeply. So the thing that I want to awaken us to today in just the few minutes that we have together Antioch Church, is I want to make an appeal to you. And the appeal is very simply this. Where is your hunger level in your pursuit of intimacy with the living God? Where are you with that? Now, we have to, we have to listen to that question from the ears of a son and a daughter. We have to hear that question not with condemning ears. We have to hear that question not in an accusatory tone. We have to hear that question as a band of brothers and sisters that are saying, we were created for more. We were created to know the living God, and we were created to know him face to face. We were created to know him by name. We were created to know the hidden nuances that are reserved for that special private pursuit of God. And this is what this text reveals to us that I think is so powerful and I think it's so prophetic and it's so timely for us. I'm going to go back here in the first part of this and I want to equip you today with three sure requests. Three sure requests. What do I mean by that? I mean, if you ever get lost, your navigation system breaks down, there are three things that you can lean on that I'm going to share with you today, going to equip you with today that will arm you to help you refind your way again. Three sure requests that we find in this text. The first, the first request. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Verse 13, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you. Guys, that is a sure request to tend the presence of God. If you feel like you're spiritually dry, if you feel like you're distant from God right now, if you feel like you don't even know who God is, let me help you this morning. 
You can pray that same prayer that Moses prayed. God, would you teach me your ways? If you don't don't know what to do in your quiet time, if you have no systematic quiet time, you can pray this one sentence prayer. God, would you teach me your ways? Teach me your ways. You know, for those of you who've been married for quite some time, you understand the ways of another person that you did not know prior to marrying them. You understand their ways. For those of you who uh, work corporate jobs and you spend eight to 10 hours, some of you 14 hours, some of you 18 hours a day around the same people, you begin to understand their ways. Christy is leading our orientation for our missions teams today. And one of the things that I love about being on a team with people from 10 days to two months is that very quickly in the face of pressure and very quickly being around the same people, even when you don't want to be around them anymore, you begin to learn their ways. We all have a way about us and God has ways. God has ways. And one of the surefire ways to help us grow in our spiritual relationship is to begin to consciously understand the ways of God, the ways of God. Some of you in the families that you grew up in and some in the families that you are leading, you might have heard statements like that, that's not the way that we do things. One of the things that I enjoy most about pastoring a people is that, and it doesn't happen overnight, and really in some ways it doesn't even happen over a short set of years, but over a long arc of time, you begin to build a value system which creates a culture. And a culture very simply is created when enough people create a system of ways of doing things that are birthed in a biblical set of values. And then before long, you have people that come in and say, man, this is one of the friendliest people. Or man, these are some of the most passionate worshipers. Or man, and what are they saying? They're just simply identifying a culture that has been built by a manner of ways of doing things. And so God is saying, I believe that God is inviting his people to discover his ways. In fact, we find in the book of Psalms 103, Psalms 103 says this, verse 7, the psalmist is worshiping God and he makes this profound statement. He says that you made your ways known to Moses, but your deeds you made known to the people of Israel. So if we're not careful, we'll become a people that only know the deeds of God. We'll only know the miraculous, and and, and the danger here is, is that when we only know God by his deeds, well, then we become selective. And we only know him by certain deeds, and the certain deeds that we have a proclivity towards or a propensity towards or certain deeds that we enjoy or certain deeds that gel well with us or certain deeds that we prefer. But when we set our hearts to discover the ways of God, now we're getting into who God really is. We're allowing God to define himself by his ways. That's a surefire request to tend to the presence of God. Here's here's the second one. 
so God responds to Moses and he says, Son, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Verse 15, Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, then please do not send us up from here. Here's the second surefire request that we can make. God, if your presence does not go with me in the things that I'm doing, would you stop me from making those decisions? You know, the Spirit of God will serve as an umpire. The Scripture actually says that the peace of God will serve as an umpire in our spirit to help us make decisions. Am I to continue working in this job? Am I to take this new job? Am I to move forward in this relationship? Those are all massive decisions that each of us face. And we all face numerous decisions throughout the course of our week. How do we navigate those decisions? What does, what does this look like for us, God, if your presence does not go with us? It looks like the Holy Spirit being inside of you, being that umpire. And giving attention to the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to say yes or to say no to the decisions that you're making. Small or large, there are life-giving decisions, there are life-changing decisions that some of us are facing right now that are massive in their scale. And this looks like, God, if your presence does not go with me, I do not want to go forward with this. No matter how lucrative it might be, no matter how well my name might be known, because here's what Moses was dialing into, and I think this is brilliant. Moses was dialing into this. We could, we could build the greatest army. We could go forward. We could conquer enemies. Uh, we could seize the promised land by ourselves. But at the end of the day, if God is not with us, it is all of no avail. And it's short-lived. That's what we have to realize, that no matter what might seem to provide you know, that uh, Esau's stew or Jacob's stew to Esau, that, that, uh, that thing that is going to satisfy us in the moment, no matter what that is, if the presence of God does not go with us, it'll be short-lived, and it'll be hollow, and it'll be meaningless. And so this looks like, for me and for you, this looks like, Lord, as we leave this house today, or as we steward your presence in our home, Lord, we want your presence to be with us. As prophetic people, or as people who are partly defined by that prophetic inclination in God, one of our responsibilities as we go into the earth is to identify where God is at work and then to reveal where God is at work in the lives of people who don't even know God. Are you understand what I'm saying today? So everywhere that you go in everything that you do, going back to our faithful presence roots, we need to understand that God is at work. And so to be the people of God in the earth is to identify where God is at work and to, to bring attention to where God is at work, causing heaven and earth to overlap and therefore causing his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Third, surefire request, cultivate and tend the presence of God. Verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I'm pleased with you. And verse 18, then the, Moses said, now show me your glory. Show me your glory. The thing that I love about this request is that it reveals a hunger inside of Moses that refuses 
to be satisfied. Now, if, if those of you who have read through the book of Exodus know much about Moses, you know that by now, Moses has had an amazing encounter with God in a burning bush, right? You know that Moses was in his chronos season, being faithful, being diligent, being disciplined, and then a kairos moment of encounter, God calls him, he ends one season, launches him into another season. Even though Moses was a little resistant, God says, I will be with you. God reveals himself to Moses in a very miraculous encounter. Then we know about Moses that he goes into Egypt and he does supernatural miracles by the hand of God. We know then that Moses is a part of seeing and experiencing and witnessing the power of God in 10 plagues and then the culmination of the power of God in the deliverance of Israel from 400 years of slavery. And then we also know by this time that water is coming out of rock, that quail is coming from the sky. And we also know that Moses at this time has spent 40 days and nights alone without food or water sustained by the presence of God. And listen to his request. I want more. I want more. I'm not satisfied. Show me your glory, God. There's parts of you I've not discovered yet. I know you did the miracles in Egypt, but that's just one facet of who you are. There's, there's, more, to, there's more to you than this. I know you revealed yourself as provider when, when you cause manna and, and, and when you cause quail to come, but there's more to you than that. Are you hearing me this morning? How do we cultivate the presence of God? How do we tend to the presence of God? Number one, let's pay attention to the ways of God. As revealed in Christ, as revealed in the scriptures, as revealed in his people, as revealed in the church. Number two, let's say, God, help me to be mindful of where your presence is at work in my life and guide me by your presence. And number three, I think how we tend the presence of God, how we cultivate the presence of God in our life for it to grow and for it to increase is for us to remain constantly hungry, is to never become satisfied with the level, with the degree, with the altars, with the encounters, and with the experiences that we've had of who God is. Jonathan, would you come up this morning, please? As we approach the table of the Lord this morning, I would like for us to posture our hearts and orient our hearts and our faith. To approach the table this morning with an expectation of encountering God afresh and encountering God anew. That we would orient our hearts to experience the presence of God. Something I'd like to add here. I, I love, I love worship and I love worship music and I think what has been done in the past 10 years in the realm of worship music has been so helpful. But just for me, in my life, I went through a season where the playlists and the CDs and the favorite musicians and bands, that they actually became a crutch for me. And the thing that I think is so fascinating here is here in this encounter, there was, there was no playlist. There were no instruments. Now, please don't hear me in saying that worship and worship music and worship sets and instruments are wrong or bad. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that we can encounter the presence of God without music, without musicians, without playlists, without songs, that as we learn to cultivate the presence of God, 
Friend, let me tell you, we'll begin to see the presence of God everywhere in everything that we do. Let me, let me wrap this up with this uh, suggestion. On the second day of our men's retreat, early in the morning, not too early, but I, before breakfast, I went out, just sat on this little patio. I looked over and I saw Ross Wagle running. And I just thought, man, Ross is experiencing the pleasure and the joy of God right now. I loved it, man. I just watched, I watched you just watched you running. And then there was something, I don't even know how it happened, but I it was a stone bench. There was a table, I was sitting on one bench, and on the other side was another was another bench, and and I had this sense. Now y'all know me, y'all know I don't I don't get all crazy, but I had the sense that Jesus sat down right across from me. And there was just this, there was this holy sense. I put my pen down, I put my journal down, I pushed it away. And I became acutely aware, I think Jesus is, is, is right here next to me. Do you know that you can actually live in that when you're driving in your vehicle? Like, with the power of imagination, and, and really, I believe, living sacramentally. I believe that we can even just say, Jesus, I believe that you're right here, right? I, I, I become aware. I become aware, Jesus, that you are right here. You are right here with me. Imagine living your life like that. Imagine living your life like that. In the chaos of little kids and the chaos of stepping on Legos. Imagine living, Jesus, you're right here. Imagine living your life like, how did you walk by and not step on that leg? I need wisdom and revelation. In your work environment, in the tension, in the monotony, in the frustration, in the pressure, in the cubicle, Jesus, you're right, you are. And just stop, and just stop. It's what many of the desert fathers coined practicing the presence of God. Stopping. It's again, again, it's like that sun. It's always there. Don't you know that when you actually stop, kind of look up and go, oh, the sun feels really good right now. It's not that you caused the sun to appear. It's very simply that you became more aware that the sun was there. And consequently, you were able to enjoy and experience that which was always there. So Father, today, as we approach the table, God, we know that our salvation is not in this ordinance or in this sacrament. And yet, Lord, we also know that you use natural things to communicate and also to infuse natural things with very, very powerful, real, mysterious, spiritual realities. So God, today, we're, we're not looking just to remember. We're looking to encounter. And my prayer for my friends and my family and my church today, along with myself, is that Holy Spirit, that you at the table today would give us a fresh and a new and a renewed encounter with the living God. Let us stand today.